Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. This morning, it's my pleasure to welcome Suzanne Barr to our Table Talk podcast. Suzanne is one of North America's most respected chefs with a signature flair for Afro-Caribbean comfort food. Her impressive past culinary repertoire includes head chef and owner at True True Diner in Toronto, owner of Saturday Dinette, the inaugural chef in residence at the Gladstone Hotel, a residency at Sand and Pearl Oyster Bar in Prince Edward County, and a starring role as one of the chefs in the acclaimed documentary films, film, The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution. And as a a resident judge on Food Network Canada series, Wall of Chefs. Suzanne is also very active in the community as a board member for Not 9 to 5, a non-for-profit organization empowering the hospitality, food and beverage industry through mental health education and support. She's also won Social Advocate of the Year Award in 2021 from Restaurants Canada. And she's currently launching her memoir, My Aki Tree, a chef's memoir of finding home in the kitchen, which will be published later this spring. So good morning, Suzanne, and welcome to Table Talk. Hi, good morning. It's so great to have you. And um, I, was, I was saying earlier, as before we, uh, before we officially started, that we had quite a, a snowstorm in Toronto yesterday and we got a ton of snow, but Suzanne um, informed me that she didn't have to deal with any of that because she's currently in Miami. So I'm a little jealous <laughs> and envious uh, of where you are right now as we're digging out from the snowstorm in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely makes me, um, it brings like obviously eight years of living in Toronto and, and shoveling my car out and going sledding with my son and my husband and just doing all the winter wonders that you love to do while you're there. But yes, officially as of last year, um, in the summer of last year, we made a decision. I took a, a, a project based out of South Florida for about a year. And so I'm here for a year working on this project. And, you know, we don't have an actual an actual date when I, we could potentially return. But uh, with the book being released in the spring of this year, I will be back in Toronto. So I will be enjoying some of the snow if it's still around <laughs> in April, but probably not. It's typically well, not. Hopefully we won't have any more snow in <laughs> April, please. Um, so anyway, I thought we'd start today just by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you were born and, and your culinary education. So why don't uh, we start there? Perfect. So um, I was born in Toronto, actually. Um, my family of both Caribbean descent, both, both of them are from Jamaica, but migrated to Canada um, very different ways. My mother's route was leaving Jamaica at a very young age to go to the, to the UK. Um, being a part of the Commonwealth, I think it allowed for opportunities for my family. And um, my words, my father went from Jamaica to another Caribbean island and then made his way to Canada. So we moved from Canada um, in the early 80s to the United States, which is where I grew up for most of my um, like 
middle school, high school years. And, you know, with having so much family still in Canada, it has always been a place that I've gone back to year after year, even with living it throughout the cities in, in the US. But I think my return to Canada eight years ago, it really came to me from just being inspired by, you know, a life that I was born in a place that I was born into, but didn't know much about it. And, you know, my partner and I, we had met and he is also part of the Commonwealth being from Australia. It just made sense. Like, why don't we land someplace that you can have an easier opportunity to, you know, get your um, citizenship. And then also we can live and, you know, establish ourselves. Now, prior to meeting him, my culinary background takes me back to just growing up in my parents' kitchen, to be very honest, my first earliest memories of cooking takes me back to watching my mom and my dad both cook. They, I would say they are two of the first chefs that I ever worked for because my parents were always able to create something um, quite, um, quite special, not just connecting me to my heritage, but also connecting me to understanding playing with food and having fun with food and challenging our taste buds. Um, eventually I did go to a culinary school for more formal training. And that happened in my, in my years around 30 years of age. And at that point I was living in New York and I, I found an institution called the National Natural Gourmet Institute. And that's where I decided that I wanted to kind of specialize my, my skills. I wanted to explore the opportunity of understanding how food and healing are a key elements to the future of how we as humans and folks are going to be living. And the more I can understand what the body needs and how to feed the body in a way to nurture, um, that's kind of a thing that I, I felt was really important gift that I experienced growing up, but now I can actually find the science behind it with going to this more formal education. So that for me is kind of like my beginning story of like how I, you know, got into, found the Natural Gourmet Institute and how and why food is so important in my life, even to this day. So do you find that that overarching theme of healing has been present in your food uh, throughout your career? Or is that something that was there in the beginning and then you kind of evolved into other areas? No, absolutely. I think that, you know, whether it's someone coming to any of my restaurants or any of the projects I've worked on and telling me that you transported me back to a time when I had never enjoyed eating grits or, or I, my, my grandmother used to make it. I just haven't had it since then. And being able to create that memory, being able to, to connect that person back to a place in their life and, and in their spirit and in their, in their body, that really brings out that nostalgic memory, that brings out that, that warm, comforting feeling. And that to me is, 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 a, is a gift that you know, I'm so grateful to be able to do every day, uh, whether that's writing a recipe, sharing it online socially, or if that's sharing it, um, you know, on any of the shows or projects that I've been on, I think that ultimately, you know, the healing aspect and understanding how we as, as chefs, we have this, this role, we have this opportunity to continue to spread our gifts and our talents and using food as a tool. And we have skills and training to help us kind of elevate it and give people this, um, this almost, it's, it's almost like an escape into a, into a moment 
when you first get that dish, it lands in front of you and you take that first bite and it really truly either is a blessed memory or it's something that you want to send back. But for the most part, let's just say that it's always a blessed memory and it's a gift to be able to receive a beautiful offering of delicious food. That's fabulous. And um, as someone who, you know, it sounds like most of your training really came, like you said, through your mom and your dad and their kitchen. And you did have an experience, obviously, at a school, at a culinary school. But looking back now as a chef today, what are, what are the benefits of one route as opposed to the other? Um, I mean, a lot of culinary students, you know, go to, to school and get their grounding and then they, they take what they've learned and, you know, in their own kitchens and they kind of amalgamate that. Is there, um, is there a preferred route that you think chefs should take today? I don't think there's a preferred route for anyone. And I think that we're seeing that we saw that even before COVID and before any, you know, food network, any of these celebrity cooking shows, I think people have always and will always continue to be inspired by things they've seen, memories they've had, and food and dishes. Um, and I think that for someone that desires to, 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 to take on the, the route of more training and, and understanding, that could be in a long-term program, that could be in a uh, a short-term short training program, it's, um, it's really based on what works and makes, it makes sense for your own particular space where you are in your life. You know, I have dreams to continue my education as a chef, but I know that the timing is everything for me. But for someone that decides that they're like, I want to go to, you know, um, I want to go to a culinary school Cordon Bleu based in, you know, France or wherever, wherever that, wherever or wherever you decide to continue to pursue your training, I think your training is always going to continue. It never stops and right. it can come in many, many different facets and it can look so different. You know, there's a financial um, commitment that's required for the educational, like the institutional route. Some folks, you know, consider that as something that they can take on. Some are like, I'm going to consider scholarships or for some folks, they might say, you know what, I cannot take that, that monetary cost on now, but I'm going to look for short, really intensive workshops that I can do, or I'm just going to geek out on YouTube and learn how to make incredible dishes or get some of my favorite cookbooks and learn from the best. You know, I think there is no right or wrong route. I think it's a personal preference and I think it's a life choice. And I think at the end of the day, everyone's living a life that makes that, that is presently what is, that feels right for them. And you just, you have to be honest with yourself and under, understand that whatever it is, food, front of the house, back of the house, whatever you want to specialize in, and food is your thing, you just have to figure out how your, that knowledge is is going to be received and no it's always it's going to come in many different styles and many different ways and you'll find inspiration from so many different people and things and music and just it's it's just a, it's a wonderful time to be living and to understand that you're not held hostage to one route of understanding and learning something that you could potentially take you on a whole new life journey and that's the beauty of being pretty open-minded about you know, uh, how food is inspiring you to, to drive yourself in your life. So. 
Well, that's the beauty of food and living when, you know, the time that we are living, as you said, there's so many different um, influences and even, you know, watching YouTube, as you said, you know, we never had that kind of uh, advantage in the past. So, so that's great. And I would assume that, you know, where, whichever route you take um, or direction you come from, really, it's all inspired by passion, because I think, you know, any chef that I've ever talked to throughout my career, that's what's driving all chefs. It's the passion for food and creating that, that wonderful dish that will uh, create memories for a lot of other people. Um, you, you've had an interesting career and you've, you've had some interesting restaurants that you've been part of. What would you say are some of the highlights of that career for you? Um, and I know you're, you're doing different things today with your new project in Miami these days, but what are some of the, the things that have stood out in your career? You know, I feel like I have to say everyone. <laughs> Not because any one particular person is, is, is listening, but I think the truth is like every project for me was so unique and so special. Each project was, was necessary to, to get me to where I am right now in my life. And I understand that so clearly. I understand that because, you know, you're never you're never going to stop learning and you're never going to stop understanding and you're always going to continue to be a bit of a sponge absorbing information. And I think I was able to do that from each project I've, I've done while um, opening and, and running and creating restaurants and projects in, in Toronto. Um, I think if I can highlight just some magical moments, I would say the first magical moment would probably be my first restaurant, Saturday Dinette. For me, I never thought I was ever gonna be a restaurant owner. I didn't really understand, nor did I have that experience under my belt. My father um, had um, dreams of opening a patty shop in South Florida. And he was also an entrepreneur in the sense he had a book bindery business. So I was very familiar with running a, a, bit, a mom and pop business because I saw my dad do that my whole life growing up. But when it came time to me sitting down with my partner at the time and thinking like, are we actually gonna do this? And it was like a bit of fear, but a bit of like excitement, a bit of like, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't really know what people are gonna think of my food. And how do you keep, how do you get people to come through the door? And how do you keep them from continuing to come through the door? But that to me, I think was the huge, the, the greatest gift because Saturday Dinette became a cornerstone for the Dundas, Riverdale, Leslieville area. It was, for me, um, it became bigger than something that I had dreamed about. It became um, a safe haven for a lot of folks. It also became um, a lot of people's locals. It became a place that people went to for their birthdays or anniversaries, their celebrations. We had, you know, incredible success very quickly and I'm very very grateful and when I say success I don't mean like we were you know throwing back the money and Marshall, success yeah. is not just about monetary it's just about the being able to reach the amount of people that we did and to be able to continue to express ourselves and keep our doors open so for me that that's a that's one form of success that we saw very quickly was that we were able to you know with the winter, with summer, with all the questionable months in the year in Canada and understanding how to like play to what people were wanting. And the fact that we are in such a city that 
there are some incredible restaurants already doing incredible food. Like how do we stand out? What do we do? What are we doing that is so different? And I think that I wasn't so worried about what was in and what food fads people are looking for, but I was more, we were more focused on, you know, what our, what our model was, what was our integrity, what was our perspective on food and our business and our staff and how important they were essentially to the running of that business and, and the sustainability of it, you know, uh, we did run into roadblocks uh, a few years in, but you know, I think that like any business, you do have your hurdles and that's just part of it. And you find ways to kind of work through it, master it and take it on. And I think, you know, that would be a major highlight. And, you know, there's many other highlights that I could talk about, but still in my heart, Saturday Dinette hands down stands out in, in such a special place, especially because I still get stopped by people sometimes that say, we miss Saturday Dinette when are you opening again? Is it ever coming back? And that just always brings me to, you know, to, to a big smile on my face because, you know, when we closed those doors, it was a hard decision because it wasn't just us closing. It was, um, we were leaving in a community. We were leaving a space that really had made us um, feel very at home. Would you ever consider reopening that? Is that part of your plans down the road? Or, I mean, you never say never, I guess, but. Never say never, but I, I think what we did and, and for the time that we did it, it was exactly where it needed to be. And I think that restaurants are changing. We can see that. We are all knowing that uh, they're rooted in a, in a fundamental system that has been, it was created on broken promises. And so I think we'd have to reimagine what restaurants would have to be to, for, for us to even consider reopening Saturday Dinette again. And I guess to some degree, do you think there's a lifespan for restaurants? I mean, is it is it easy to go back and do that again? Perhaps the lifespan just has passed. Who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's less about the, the restaurant and less about, you know, like that concept of a restaurant. It's more about where people are as as humans and where we are going and what is sparking our joy what's sparking our passions these days you know the idea that you might work a 12 15 16 17 hour day for a lot of people they're like uh no thank you you know but for some people it's you know i want to have a work-life balance that's what i kind of want so can I create a model that looks a little bit more of a work-life balance and be able to do that, but still be able to create food that's inspiring? I mean, people are creating food projects every minute of the day. It's still happening. We're never going to stop that. People have to eat. However, I think we're just reimagining what that looks like and how do we, you know, the food procurement is just the whole way that we're, we're considering ways to do that is just changing. And I think that it's a, it's a very cool opportunity and right now to be a part of that change and to see how you can inspire people to, is it restaurant sharing space? You know, we, we saw that model kind of maybe pop up 15 years ago where the front of a restaurant, a front of a business, a storefront space was like say a coffee shop. And then in the back was a clothing store. So how do we, how do we find ways to reimagine how, 
we some one person is not taking on the burden in a brick and mortar space and it's a brick and mortar space the evolution of restaurants is that how you know we talk a lot about ghost kitchens we talk a lot about takeout we talk a lot about you know pop-ups and you know these boxes that we've been we've been ordering during the beginning of covid and i think all of that's relevant all of it's relevant and then all of it is evolving and all of it is is finding a, a, a home but some of it is going to stay around some of it may go it's 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 all such a, a very interesting time to be in the industry to see that we all have a part to play in this and we all have an opportunity to speak up about the changes and the reimagining of the industry and, and the model of restaurants. And, and for sure, all of that has happened over the last two years in a big way. How, how would you say that COVID has impacted you personally? Um, because the last 22, 23 months have been very challenging for all restaurant operators, all chefs, and there's so much reinvention going on as we speak in the industry. How did it affect you personally and professionally? Well, I was home for dinner a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You spent more time with your family, for sure. Yeah, you know, and... I like my family. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know that that's a kind of a, maybe a, a silly thing to hear. Like, what are you, why are you saying that? But no, truly, like, you know, like I, I love my family. I, I love making time with my friends and I love making time for myself as well. And that's something that I didn't always get a chance to do. You know, my son was almost practically born in the restaurant, you know, um, for those that remember um, Saturday dinette, we had opened and the day I opened was the day I found out I was pregnant. So, you know, our journey was like literally, you know, from opening day to the day that we had to close because I was like, oh, I have to go have a baby, but <laughs> I'll be back in a month <laughs> making breakfast again for y'all. So, you know, for me, it, it was, um, there was like this, I had to find the silver linings. I really had to, 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 to take credit to the fact that I didn't really know how much I was missing out of my life. And I didn't really understand how much of a work-life balance was not there. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't really know it until I was home and I was looking in my fridge and I was like, wow, I literally have made bagels, donuts, sourdough, pot roast, uh, meat pies within a week and I was like dude like this is kind of dope like I've got food to go and we're all fed and we are able to sit down and enjoy a a film together I can help my son with his homework I can you know I can do the laundry it doesn't sit in the dryer for an extra three or four days and just continue to rewarm it every day (laughs) but I actually get to enjoy a life that I hadn't had in probably 15 years, to be very honest, because that's a lot of truth for a lot of people that work in this industry and, and those of us that um, work in restaurants, per se. Catering and, and, and private chefing, very different. You, you have maybe a bit more control of your time and your scheduling because you can really set your, you have one project, you know, when that project's done, you're, you're bidding for another and you're, you know, private chefing, you're working four and five days, whatever, whatever your schedule is. So for me, I, I took, you know, COVID and the whole experience personally, um, that I got it my, a bit of my life back. I got a bit of my, a handle of where 
I was avoiding conversations about my own personal mental health. I avoided a lot of things because work is easier to deal with than to deal with some of my own shit. And I just kind of was like, I love to work because I don't have to like dig too deep and it doesn't, it, it hurts because I feel it in my back because I'm avoiding and I'm sitting on shit. But like, this is the first time that I'm like, oh no, you, you can't go nowhere. Literally you cannot leave your house. And then two, sit down and, and listen and breathe and, you know, maybe go make some sourdough if you want. <laughs> so it, it seems like when I've spoken to a lot of chefs over the last couple of years and owners, so much of that has gone on for individuals where having that time now to pause and to allow you to reflect has made people realize that perhaps the lives they were leading weren't exactly what they wanted to lead. Do you think that is what has pushed this whole great resignation? Because I know so many people who are now saying, I've had enough. I, I, I want to take a break. I don't want to do this. Is that the reason that this is happening? Because I've never seen the kind of um, reshifting or resetting that I've seen over the last two years. Yeah, I, I really do believe that we all, you know, it's like that 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 um, uh, steam kettle that's in the kitchen and, or um, not steam kettle, or if you're just boiling water and you hit that boiling point and you just let it kind of keep going and then eventually the water starts to evaporate and before you know it, you're like, your pot is on fire. And I think that we have, we as industry folks have lived, you know, we have worked so many jobs where we've just run ourselves on E. We've just shown up because the harder you work, the more respect you get, maybe the more opportunities for promotion, maybe the more monetary, maybe not always the case, but you just might have more shifts that you have Mm -hmm. to cover. Uh, Maybe you can open another project, another location if you're interested in doing that. Maybe you'll get more reviews if you're into that. It just, you know, it lends to like this like desire to like work harder, be be appreciated, uh, be recognized more, gain more respect, do more things. And, you know, I, during the, the, this whole time, like I had to pause, like you said, and I thought a lot about like education. I thought a lot, like, I've always wanted to go back to get my master's. You know, I, I went to, to culinary school and I graduated with the certification, but you know, here I am kind of sitting on the same educational route that I'd gone and I had graduated so many years prior to where I was at that point that I was like, there's so much more I want to learn. There's so much more that I want to be a part of. And I think a lot of people are, are, were just kind of like a bit fed up and, and like they took a chance on themselves. Whereas we don't always do that when we're just living it. You don't even have time to do anything else. We don't, you know, taking a chance on ourselves, like, I think I can make this pate en croute rather than just getting somebody in to do it. Like, I'm going to do it. And I think being able to just, you know, take a chance on yourself and believing in something that you could do outside Mm -hmm. of what you've been doing and being able to also see that there is more than what you've been doing to live a life that's worth living is also something that I think came up for a lot of people. I know so many people that have 
thrown in the towel. And they said, like my partner, he's 25 years working in the industry, both front and back of the house yeah. and opening restaurants with me. And he has officially walked away from the industry hundred percent. He has kidding, always wow. wanted to do he's always wanted to do something completely else. And he's gone back to school to do that now. And I don't think he could have done that if we were still in the position that we were. And I know many people that are also sharing in that story that if things didn't go the way that it did, who knows where we would have ended up. Yeah, it probably would have figured itself out, but right. you know, who wants to just keep figuring shit out? Like it's, it's time to, sure. to do more than you know, to do more than that. So what do you think that means for the industry? When I hear you say that about your partner leaving and you wanting to do different things and me speaking to others who are saying the same thing, what does that mean to the industry? That's pretty huge. It's fucking exciting. I'm sorry I'm cursing so much, but I really do. Like, I really feel like it's exciting. And I think it's an exciting opportunity to like think that, okay, we know restaurants are not going to become obsolete. That's, you know, that's a big part when we look at the fundamentals of what restaurants and how they support communities. But looking at a restaurant, you know, business models that are quite different than what we've been seeing, worker-owned restaurant concept, cooperative restaurant concepts, um, shared restaurant concepts, catering halls, incubators, um, uh, pop-up shops, um, going back to a bit of the food truck era, going going to the to the to so many different ways that we can retail. Like there's still this, you know, this part of food production that I think we are understanding that fundamentally it's it's bigger than just the restaurants that you know the industry changing. It's also looking at the food chain. It's also looking at the supply chain. It's also looking at how we're sourcing any of these ingredients because clearly we're knowing that beef is not the future of the way that we're gonna eat in this country. Mm -hmm. Yes, Beyond products are on the rise. Plant-based diet is on the rise. All these incredible ways of eating are on the rise and I consider that great, but I think that it's going to promote and inspire people to, I'm going to jump on. I'm going to sell my product on e-commerce online exclusively. I have a Shopify account. I'm going to build my, my, my business through my Shopify account. And then I'm going to start selling it retail. And then I'm going to start selling it maybe out of a small shop. And then I'm going to open up a brick and mortar. I think that the traditional route of building, running, and imagining a restaurant had to change the disparity of wage wage subsidies and the way that people were being paid and not paid the the imbalance of, of, of the tipping system and how fundamentally it's so archaic and it's so just it's past its time it's past its prime and we need to be done with it you know understanding sick days and, and how that benefits people to feel like I can actually be sick and I'm not lose my job the understanding that this industry can promote and create jobs that are career paths, people that want to build a career that's maybe around the fundamental of business models. What are B corporate? What are B, B certified companies? Well, how does that benefit a, a restaurant and a business model? 
you know, I think all of this makes it so exciting for me to think about that we can we can get outside of thinking the way that the the typical standard way of running a restaurant has to be that way anymore because that way is is not working. It it has been broken for a long time. And I think we all knew we needed it. It's killing us. It's killing some of our mentors, some of our highest respected chefs to this highest respected, you know, industries and people that are the most important part of the food and the supply chain that are suffering, that are not being paid fair and equal pay, you know, wages that are being, that are still invisible and their voices are still not being heard and how the imbalance of how we are receiving food and able to give food. I mean, it's an ongoing thing that I think we all knew that was gonna come to a head. We reached our boiling point and it's, we no longer have the water to continue to give to it. So we gotta find another way. And, and so really the pandemic has been the motivating force to, to this big change that we're seeing today, or do you think it, this would have happened even without the pandemic? Do you think the timing think was, it, was building? I think the timing was building. I think it may have taken us a different route. I think because there was this global pause, it was a shared conversation with not just people that were from within my province that I was talking to, I remember early in, in the shutdown, I was on a call. I, was, I had jumped onto a, um, a talk and there were probably 20, maybe 20 industry people on the call. And they were from, there were, there were people from Denmark, there were people from Sweden, Ireland, England, around the world, Asia, mm -hmm. Singapore. I mean, literally around the world. Um, and these calls I'm continuing to be on. And I think there was this shared, you know, conversation from the, the restaurants in, in, in West Africa to the restaurants in Ireland that people were all feeling the same way. Mm -hmm. But this was the first time that we were all able to actually make the time to say, hey, I'm going to show up on this call. Are you going to be there? Yeah, actually, I don't have a restaurant to go to. My restaurant's shut. So is yours. Oh, shit. Like, let's let's get on a call. And so I think that that's what it allowed it to, to do. It allowed us to all around the world just fucking pause and look and talk and share, cry, swap numbers, share letters, talk about what we have been seeing for over the last 40 years of an industry that has, has fundamentally needed to change. You know, it really needed this. And, and um, I know people are like, that's fucked up. We, we, did we actually need businesses to shut? No, we didn't. But, you know, unfortunately that if we continue to, to go the way that we were going, mm -hmm. we would see more lives lost. We would see more, we would see probably more restaurants shut. We'd probably see more, deficits we'd probably see more imbalances in the supply chain in the food chain i think we would see all of these things on a grander scale and it would be probably you know and it's not to say that this hasn't been devastating i mean i'm firsthand someone that's lost a, a business and i'm firsthand i lost my job and i my staff lost their job my team lost their job like i get it i was on unemployment like everybody else right but i also believe that 
this, the waters around the world were clear. We, the earth got a break. The earth got a chance to reset. We as humans got a, sec a chance to reset. We as people, I think it's bigger than just restaurants and this industry. We as humans needed a reset. And that's ultimately what I think I take from how this has been a bit of a, there's been both pluses and minuses to this, this experience coming out of COVID. For sure. So among, you know, the changes that you're talking about, how the industry really needed to change um, so much of how it did business in the past and this opportunity came along to give us this reset. Um, as a female chef who also happens to be Black, what did, what did you find in the industry um, that you had to do to, you know, to break through the barriers that exist both for women and for racialized communities? Um, I mean, as a woman in the industry, I know over 40 years, you know, I've seen some of those barriers that exist for women, but what would you say have been some of those barriers for you? Um, and, and how did you break through? And do you think that's improving? Um, or do you think that now that we've had this opportunity to reset that perhaps it will improve if it hasn't yet? I mean, I'm still trying to break through barriers. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. They're not complete. Um, I think any person that is non-cis, you know, is always gonna come against barriers. That's just part of this world that we live in that you have to look a certain way, you know, present a certain way to be considered the, the norm and whatever that means and that for none of us is true and none of that has never been our reality nor nor am I interested in that ever being my reality but the barriers that I continue to grapple with is is the same barriers that you know have always been there and I don't think they're they're going that far I think it's less about trying to adapt to systems that will accept me and more about me creating my own systems I think that's one great thing yeah. that I have creating my own creating my own communities creating my own spaces that feel safe and feel secure rooted on you know uh, the fundamentals of what it means to live in a fair and just uh, place and to be able to practice and live a life that I feel that I can be the most of myself and alive and um, proud and passionate and driven uh, these are the these these are truly the things that are most important to me is is stop trying to fight to be a part of a system that I a system that never saw me coming a system mm -hmm. that did see me coming but they they wanted to control a system that wanted to control uh, manipulate um, make me feed and believe that I needed to to be a certain way to be accepted in a certain way and say okay y'all can have that <laughs> I'm gonna go over there with all these other folks. And we're gonna create something else. And then y'all are gonna probably be like, well, wait about us. And we'll be like, well, you can come, <laughs> but this is what's happening over there. So if you're down for that and you can come along, but truly, I mean, you know, that's 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 a big thing that I have taken into, into my life as a, as a practice is, you know, to be a part of creating some new systems. And, and it's not easy, you know, it's not easy to be the first. It's not easy to be a part of things that are just starting out in, in the beginning. Um, you know, it's it's definitely about finding the language and creating some new language around it. And I think that we've been able to do quite well 
during COVID is having a lot of conversations and doing a lot, having spending a lot more time back in into books and reading and finding other ways of gaining information like podcasts, like uh, radio, like um, you know, even tools on YouTube, social social media to a certain degree. I think being able to uh, tap back into those resources that are ways to help to um, to bring about these new systems of change and to understand that it, it is it is everyone's opportunity to do that. And I think you know barriers are there to keep people out, um, and we want to build um, supporting uh, columns that structurally give us our foundation to, to allow us to be expansive. Barrier, barriers to me sound very, um, uh, uh, what's the word that I was just thinking of and just left me. <laughs> um, I want to be, be in a space of more um, expansive. Scarcity is, is a way of, of allowing barriers to keep us out. And I want to be in a, in a space of abundance where I'm not being kept out of anything. That takes so much strength to do that, Suzanne. I mean, um, I, I'm sure it creates a lot of work for you to do that. Um, but for young women that are coming into the industry at the start of their career, maybe they don't have that same strength of conviction or, or confidence. How, what kind of, um, I guess, advice would you give to young women entering the industry or, or young Black women entering the industry? How do they do that at that younger age? Is there secret to that or is it just forging their own paths which will take perhaps a longer time i think you said it i think it's for anyone um, to forge your forge a path that feels right um you know finding community finding your truth is a big part of that um being very um in intuitive with what you're feeling and listening to your gut is a big thing. And if it doesn't feel right, chances are it's probably not. And on some, on some real true fundamental, like if it doesn't feel right, then probably it's not right for you. And that's okay. Because trust me, you know, whether I was, you know, 15 in high school and confused because I was the only black girl at some rock concert or some or at a rave rave. And I was like, no one looks like me. This is weird, but the music is good. <laughs> and I stayed and I will continue to stay. I will continue to forge my own. And, and I think that a lot of that for me, it's not just being, you know, a strong woman. I think it's just about being coming from knowing my ancestors and knowing my roots and connecting to my history that is a history that is far, far superior to what they have dealt with. So what I'm dealing with is nothing in comparison to what they dealt with. So I'm just like, I recognize that, oh, like, yeah, this is a lot of grunt hard work, but this is nothing to what they experienced. So I'm just grateful that I'm finally at a, at a phase in my life where I can recognize that and I can use my intellect, I can use my passion, I can use my community, I can use my resources, tools and things that I have access to, to be able to help me get and gain and build that, these things, because I can't, I know that I'm not just one person doing it. They're like, we've been doing this like for generations. <laughs> generations have already laid the groundwork. So I'm just like trying to do my groundwork in this lifetime and maybe in 
50 years, someone will be like, oh, you know, thank my ancestors for, for laying the groundwork because what they did then made a difference for us now. Sounds like you have such a strong sense of identity and belief in yourself, which is, which is fabulous. But, um, you know, I worry about perhaps some of the, some people who may don't have that same strong sense that perhaps they get a little lost through that. But, um, you know, is there anything the industry, like what should the industry be doing to, to be more welcoming, both for women and for racialized groups? I mean, we're talking about resetting the industry now through the pandemic. And this is a good time. We're building, we're starting almost new to rebuild, um, get the road to recovery back up. What should the industry be doing? I think the industry is going to do what the industry is going to do. I mean, it's it's part of a system that is run by the, the, the benefits of profit and loss, capital gains, fixed costs. This is, this is something that is will always be there whether we are about the change or not but i think it's about your own individual journey within this industry and having um, a bit of foresight and understanding that i really truly mean like yes i have not always been at this place in my life yes i have been caught up in the hamster wheel of getting things done because service is starting in an hour and i have to get 20 more things prepped and I will probably be back in that hamster wheel. Trust. Oh, trust. I will be back there at some point again. <laughs> However, what I, what I mean to say is that I think what we have to look at and what we cannot deny is that this, this industry is, 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 is going to by just by natural order of life, by the way that the earth is evolving, it's going to have to change. We're not going to have these these incredible sirloin steaks that we've wanted for to, to sell at our restaurants at $45 a pop. We're not always going to have access to the most um, heirloom pigs and things of that sort. We're not always going to have watermelon in September or not September. We're not always going to have watermelon in January. So I think it's about understanding that it's bigger than us and that there's a, a much larger, larger conversation that has begun and to, to really involve yourself into, you know, whether it's small offshoot uh, projects, whether it's building community, whether it's jumping online to seeing what some restaurateurs are doing, what organizations are doing around mental health, like not, like not nine to five or full plate that are based in Toronto, organizations that are trying to dissect and break down the, 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 some ways to support those in the industry, because I think fundamentally the industry is going to continue to be that machine. And we are not machines as much as some of our employers want to think we are and that we can just get up and go. And, you know, you're seeing now that the machine can't run without the people. I mean, you're seeing restaurants that are like, oh, we can't open on Monday because we can't get staff. You're seeing right. that people are, are using the, 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 the excuse that like, um, job, um, what are the, what's the word that they're saying? They're saying that there's just no, people aren't wanting to come to work. People aren't wanting to come to work because you're asking them to work 25 hours in a day. You're asking people to work, you know, insane hours, continue to do the same thing we've been doing. And people are like, no more. So 
coming into an industry that you know is fundamentally rooted in a, in a machine that is not looking you at you as a whole person. It's looking at you as a machine. It's looking at you as a tool. It's looking at you as a warm body, but looking at you in a way that organizations are like dissecting that. They're like, listen, we don't want you to not be in the industry. We want you to come to work in restaurants, but we want you to understand that our social obligation as as restaurant owners and as managers and as business owners, as restaurateurs, whatever your role might be in this industry, cooks, dishwashers, that we have a part of this, that mm-hmm. we can play to this and we can be about, we can help be about the change. For a lot of people, they don't wanna be about change, but you don't even, sometimes without even knowing you are creating change because you're thinking about the jobs that you wanna take on, you're considering maybe I don't take that job that's going to take me on the bus for two hours and then on a subway. Maybe I look at a job opportunity that's closer to home that mm-hmm. gives me a bit more time so that I can do something that else sparks a passion for me. Um, and I think ultimately, wherever you are in the industry, whatever your role is and wherever you see, it's about you know finding a, a core understanding that you have such a big part to play in this. And we want to, to, you to remember that, acknowledge that, and be aware of that. Maybe it's just about being a student of life and to live it and to go to school and just to get a job to get it. But it's not just that anymore. You know, like, you don't necessarily need to do that route. And, we're, and you know, we're seeing that people are understanding that. But I think ultimately, at the end, at the end of the day, it's about making sure that you know that you have a lot more uh, an influence in this than not just because you um, are showing up to work, but because you have a voice and you have a vote and you have an opinion. And that vote is also a part of some policy. I think that we have to put it less on the change that we as restaurant people working and managers, I think we got to throw a lot of this to the government. I think we have to throw a lot of this back to policy work. We have to, you know, like we're a part of an industry that is, you know, I don't have the exact stats, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, statistically speaking, restaurants, um, tourism, you know, hospitality, hotel, like we are probably definitely more than half of the percent of revenue that comes into the city that we live in. And cross city to city, state to state, country to country, I think those stats can, will also show that fundamentally, you know, policy is a way to see about some long-term change and some future change to support the growing um, issues around job security and how people value their staff and their workers, whether it's farm work, whether it's working in the front of the house, back of the house, whether it's working in management, whether it's working as a private chef, whatever it is. But I think fundamentally, we've got to we've got to turn and look out. And if policy is not the change, then there's there's always you know the the route that we've been doing, which is about bringing building up organizations that want to bring change to the 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 industry on a grassroots level. So on on that note of change, um, do you think that we're starting to take mental health? Uh, awareness more seriously these days? I think it's 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 definitely getting a lot more attention. Are we taking it more seriously? I don't know. <laughs> and I only say that because I still think that 
you know, the biases, the stereotypes, the a lot of what we're still challenged with is people still don't feel secure in their in their in their their jobs, even going back right now. People aren't secure in the fact that they're going to be safe in their job place because there's an angry customer at them that's cussing them out because they don't want to put their mask on or they don't want to listen. They don't want to hear you say that you guys don't have you sold out a chicken and it's 10 o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, so is is that is a that is mental health that is definitely embarking upon the fact that fundamentally I think it's 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 not a it's we're not there yet we're not there yet I think we definitely are making some some steps forward but we're not there yet because I still think that you know the consumers are consumer is now having to understand that they have a part to play and they have a role in all of this and it can't just be us as the staff and the employees and managers and owners that are that have to straighten up our our attitude and we got to get ourselves but as consumers you have a role as well for sure you for have sure. an and understanding there's and there's got to be a bit more yeah it's been a lot of angry consumers and a, and a lot of that is also stress and a lot of that is also mental health for people too like they want to get out of their house they've been stuck in their house for two years they want to get to the restaurant they want to eat what they want because they haven't been out they got money to, to burn it's this very vicious, you know, circle of, of life of where we are right now. And I think a gentler tone needs to be taken of how we are with each other. And we've got to be a bit more uh, understanding of a, a real sense of gratitude and, and being able to be a bit more transparent with, with our consumers about where the industry is, some of the some of the issues that the industry is grappling with, and it's not just this like job. You know, people don't want to go to work. It's more than that. Why don't people want to go to work? You know, why do people not want to take a twelve dollar an hour job? I'll tell you why. Because, you know, so I I think that transparency we're asking for, but even more than ever, I think we have to get to some points of understanding how transparency can be a big part, part of some change and being, being putting some responsibility back onto the consumers and definitely responsibility as to the government policy change um, as business owners, independent business owners, as, as well as big, big understanding around these franchises that are coming in that have the money that are getting the funding that some of the small mom and pop restaurants are not getting and how that's also a big problem. You know, franchises are 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 are, are able to sustain. I mean, I see longer drive-through lineups for McDonald's than I do than the little mom and pop restaurant sure. that's trying to just stay open, you know, and that's fundamentally an issue. Who gets more airtime on television to promote the product? And when you can get a celebrity to be a spokesperson, like that's of course going to bump your sales. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, that's why I say so much of it is like, we got to spin out a bit and we got to look outward. We can't just be so insular in thinking that it's, we can all solve our problems by looking in, but we got to look out and be like, there's a bigger, there's a lot of, there's a bigger issues here that's fundamentally um, going on that have been going on. But, you know, we like to think that the industry is, um, our own and we want to protect it and we want to preserve it. We want to celebrate it. And we want to have another show on Food Network 
or any of these, you know, on any of these networks that just celebrate, you know, making incredible chocolate molds, which is great, or having a, a chef yell at you because you're your quinoa I don't know your rice was overcooked or you served the, the judges raw chicken like whatever it is it's just like those these shows are great to kind of keep people in that moment of, mm-hmm. of excitement around food but I think there's there's got to be also a, a, a conversation around like what's what else is is broken about the the ideals of this industry we need to look at the fundamental flaws of the industry. And while we need to celebrate it, we also need to really change a lot of what's been going on. Um, Suzanne, I know we're running out of time and I did wanna to touch a little bit on your memoir um, that's going to be published this spring. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm sure you're very excited about that project. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been about a two and a half year process of writing with my co-writer, Suzanne Hancock, um, being on a journey with someone that I knew, um, but also didn't, she knew no, nothing of my life. And to be able to go into the into those parts of my life that maybe I hadn't explored for as far as I had to for this book, but this book is really for me, um, it's a reflection of my life and becoming a chef and why and how, and, you know, looking at my family and looking at culture, looking at you know, finding your identity and finding yourself in a kitchen. And that's exactly what I did with this novel. You know, it, it really kind of um, allowed me to put it all out there. Um, I hope a lot of people will take some of the, 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 the many moments of laughter and some of the moments of, you know, so, so, you know, somber and just embrace it and just know that it's uh, it is my story, but it's I, my story can be a part of everyone's life. I think everybody can reflect on so many, so many things that you, so many places that you find your, yourself. And I found myself in my kitchen. Truly, it did. Well, that sounds amazing. I look forward to reading that. Um, as a way to wrap up our, our talk today, uh, I'd love to hear what have been maybe your biggest lesson through the last two years of, of this very tumultuous time for everybody. I mean, I could hear you speak forever on, on some of these issues that we've touched on briefly today, but um, has there been a long lasting lesson for you coming out of this difficult time? Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I say that a lot, just breathe. I say it under my breath. I say it when I'm about to go into a podcast or anything, um, remembering our breath, you know, and I, and I don't, mean to like you know not give something that people maybe are expecting me to to hear from me but truly like just you know embrace that slow down embrace these moments to kind of reflect back into yourself um in finding the the connection that you have with your life that you are living and if it you know feeling being in the feeling of that you know um you know we hear the song you know, you're caught in your feelings or pick up your feelings. I think that it's not a bad place to be sometimes just to be caught in your feelings. Um, but it's, it's, it's about breathing into spaces that we have not always allowed ourselves to because we're always running, we're always moving. Um, and uh, that's one thing that I am embracing right now. And I have taken a chance to really embrace in these last two years is 
to breathe into the spaces that I have not allowed myself to, because it's, it's allowed me to become a bit more clear. And when I'm speaking, it'll allow me to become a lot more present in conversations. And that to me is really important. I think that's wonderful uh, advice to everybody. And I think um, the last two years have given us that opportunity to, to sometimes uh, focus on ourselves a little bit more than what we have. So that's, that's all great. Um, I know you said you're in Miami and you're gonna be there for a few more months. Can you just give us a little bit of information on what you're doing there specifically and when you hope to be back in Toronto, if ever? <laughs> we have snow here right now. I know you don't wanna come back right now. No, no time right now. I'm coming back in Toronto, but I, I will be back in Toronto actually in um, in, in, in April. Uh, my book officially launches on April 5th and we'll be doing some promo things around the city. I'm hoping to do a couple dinners and some science book signing and just kind of getting, getting um, myself back into that space of just sharing a bit about more about the book and being able to reconnect to the city that I love and being here in Miami, it, it has been a wonderful gift because I'm, I've grown closer to my dad than I think ever before. My dad lives in South Florida. So I've been able to spend a lot more time with him. I am officially a soccer mom as well here. So <laughs> I am able to go to my son's, my son's soccer games and I, you know, really committed myself back into reconnecting to um, a, a life, a work-life balance. So um, the project that I'm doing here, it's still kind of under wraps. I can't share too much, but just will say that it is definitely not so, something that people are going to be like, oh, I've never expect you to do that. I feel like I've, I've done projects that people are like, oh, okay. Like, you know, not what I expected, but now I see you in it and yeah, I expect that because you, it's still gonna be something close to my heart, which is making food that brings comfort and joy to people. So for those that are able to travel when you are able to travel, um, I'll keep you posted on details of the opening of this, of this project and launch of this project. And I hope to, to have you down here in South Florida to enjoy it as much as I hope folks here will be enjoying it. Well, that sounds very exciting, and I look forward to, uh, to learning more about it as you, as you get closer to completing it, and I look forward to reading your memoir when it comes out, so um, thank you so much for all your time today. I, I know it, it was a big chunk of time, and I know you're very busy, um, but as I said, I think you have such great, valuable insights into the industry, and I look forward to uh, seeing those changes implemented as we move forward um, on the road to recovery. So thanks again, Suzanne, and good luck with, uh, with everything you're doing. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful, magical, magical season. And I will see everybody soon. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.